Welcome to Flow Forward. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about designing for accessibility slash disability. So we're going to be talking about how do we put things in our game design to make it more accessible to people, um, especially people who have disabilities or are not neurotypical or who just, you know, including things that we're not like, because I think most of us or most games don't really think about that that much. There's very few that I can pull out of my head that, that have some sort of direction on, oh, here's what to do if, in fact, none, none, yeah. no games yeah. I can think of have direction on, here's what to do if, um, you know, you have a disability or something like that. Now, of course, role-playing games are fairly accessible, I would say. Um, in what sense? In At least to people with disabilities. Like, it's not like football or something where you have to be in, uh, you know, you have to have a full, like a fairly full physical way to go. If you can, if you can talk and roll dice and write things, you're probably fairly good to go. Though that is a very broad statement that definitely isn't going to be true in every case. I think, if you don't mind me adding on to that, that I think because um, role playing games are fairly accessible to people with some disabilities that the focus on further accessibility becomes, it actually becomes quite specific. Um, and basically all the easy stuff's been done, right? Uh, books are mm -hmm. accessible, so, you know, people in wheelchairs can use it. <laughs> um, but yeah, but deaf and, and blind and, and uh, you know, people have trouble speaking. Mm -hmm. th those are, you know, sort of what you're shooting for. Yeah. So what you're what you're saying is really that if you wanted to design anything uh, specifically targeting being accessible, you'd really have to think of what are the specific types of disabilities that I'm targeting that I want those like members of the community to play my game, and that's how I would approach designing the system for them in mind. One thing I would suggest right off the start is consider this standard RPG like stereotypical market to begin with which is most White people males? assume no i mean it's you know the socially awkward kid who lives in like his mother's basement kind of thing it's oh. like just <laughs> look at that that basically is a mental disability that they're just not calling it that like it's somebody who has a really hard time speaking with people normally hmm. i mean I don't want to disclude those people. I think that that is another uh, disability that is worth des designing for. But I also think that it's not so, in general, that RPGs uh, players are, are not. No, it's that. not as much as the stereotype is by any means, but stereotype did not come about by blind chance. There, there was a more notable amount of such than you might have expected otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. Okay. So let's then, if we're going to bring up that, let's talk about how we can make it more accessible for people who have, um, or for people, you know, people who have trouble in social situations, whether that is people who are just socially awkward or if they're on the autism spectrum or if they have uh, social anxiety or something like that. Um, are there ways that we can make this very social activity um, more accessible for people like that? 
I think there is. Like, I've been trying to build my game to do that specifically with like, you... the social system because I realized that a lot of people don't... Like, it actually started off with the concept that, well, what if you're trying to torture information out of someone? Most people don't have experience with that, but that's the kind of thing that actually comes up in role-playing in medieval Wait, most people fantasy. don't have experience with that? <laughs> oh wait, that's right. I'm an American. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, most people don't. Like I've actually read like entire books on the topic just because I thought it was really interesting. Most people haven't done that. They don't know how to do that. So I started off with that as a concept. But as I branched out, I realized a lot of people don't really necessarily know how to hold a conversation beyond small talk. Like there are sort of key things that happen in a particular order it's not just oh you just happen to have like a really high charisma score and stuff just happens and it's like it doesn't really work that way so so how do you approach it in your system if you don't mind just like sort of the the nitty-gritty details of like how do you get someone who might not be comfortable speaking um in a public setting to be able to overcome that through the mechanics of your game i can't guarantee that they'll be able to overcome speaking among like other people like that's something i think is beyond the uh, designer's capacity all you can right. do is give them the tools to be able to do so to make it comfortable as much as humanly possible but okay. if they have like a huge phobia of public speaking there's really only so much you can do but in terms of the mechanics like the way i basically break it down is into a number of particular skills and you basically have each conversation comes in a number of stages like you want to first kind of build up like a rapport with the individual you know try to get them so that they want to listen to you in the first place then gather some information about like what they actually care about kind of thing so that you can actually use that to your advantage because that's the kind of thing that you're doing when you're having like a social conversation where there's actually a need for rules to be involved like if you're just talking with someone you don't really need to get the rules involved that's just kind of a waste but if you're actually trying to get something out of someone or to get them to agree with you or to do something then in that case it's like okay yeah you basically want to get them to do what you want and to do that you kind of have to have some kind of social leverage and a lot of people if mm -hmm. they're not used to doing that they're not going to know that you actually need to have some kind of leverage to get them to do stuff for you or to agree with you like mm -hmm. so so can i um sort of make a statement of what it sounds like you're doing and you can agree or disagree sure um are you would you say you're systemizing social situations that otherwise might be hard to um deal with for some people i'd say i'm trying to put up like a scaffolding so that they know what they can do it's like here's your options try to uh here's the list of things you can pick from 
pick one of these, and as you pick them, you can roleplay it out if you want. It's encouraged. You can probably get more information out of somebody by actually speaking through the situation, but generally speaking, it's just a scaffolding so that they know where to to work with. Like, they don't know normally. That makes sense. Some people won't. Like, some people breeze through it easily, and they'll just be like, oh, this is, like, obvious. Why are you even doing this? Right. Because it's not obvious to everyone. There's uh, an interesting idea. So from what I remember of, of basically memory, um, there are three types of recall that people use to assess memory. And I'll, I'll come to this with like how this works for our social interactions. But really, um, the hardest type of memory recall is complete recall. So it'd be like, I'd ask, like, Catrice, what did you do today? And you'd have to remember all the things that you had done. Uh, if I asked, uh, Catrice, did you go to the, or like, did you go somewhere today? I've given you a prompt of uh, a specific type of activity that you've done, and I've narrowed the scope of what you need to recall. And then if I were to ask the question, Catrice, did you go to the park today? Then I've narrowed it down to a specific element that you need to say yes or no to. Um, and those three types of things have a very different amount of mental load that is placed on you. And it sounds like what you're doing is something similar for the social interactions where a complete improv um, social interaction is that more difficult um, full expression of what you've been doing. It's, uh, it's a, a total full sort of brain activity. And then by having that scaffolding, you've presented them with sort of options that they can choose from or narrow down the scope of what they can do to finite elements. Um, and then I guess the total easiest one would be just a list. And you kind of pick from one or two options to this is exactly how I want to resolve the social situation. So it sounds like you've sort of made things a little bit simpler by moving down the scale towards giving that little bit of structure, which might help people in formulating their own uh, conversation in, in game. Yeah, is I hadn't fair? actually thought of it that way. but. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate, yeah. I think that that is an interesting thing to consider as a game designer, that how much, so I, I like this idea a lot of the, the structure. How much do you need to tailor it to your individual players? Could you have systems in place that um, are there for the people who need them, um, such as aids for those with disabilities and stuff like this, or uh, different approaches to the game. Um, yeah, could that be something that was designed into a game, I guess? Probably. Like, take it if you need it type of thing? Yeah, exactly. Sort of like, you could use this scaffold structure that Catrice has made if you, if you find it useful, if you find it helpful. Or you can go off script if you find that that works better for you or that you have more flexibility in that way. And it's not a mental load for you to be able to describe exactly how you'd like to torture somebody. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think often one of the ways it's done in RPGs as of now, and I'm not going to state that this is the best way to do it, but one of the ways I've seen it done is a lot of people, especially when you're doing social things, they will either go, okay, we're going to role play out this conversation, you know, mm -hmm. between the two of us. Uh, the two of us are going to have this conversation, we'll make this negotiation, and then at the end, we'll do what makes sense. Or the GM will go, okay, you want to try and get something from this guy, 
so make a charisma roll or right. whatever. Um, and that's kind of the way I've often seen that obfuscated out so that the people who don't have that, who don't have that kind of charisma or don't have those kind of social skills that would be necessary for having that kind of interaction can just go, oh, my character would though. So roll some dice. Right. And I so, wonder, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, I think that um, I, I really like to, hmm. I, I guess I've never made it specifically clear, but I like to make it specifically clear with my players that I I have, especially new players, that it's perfectly okay to completely meta the whole game. Um, I don't care as a GM and as a designer. Um, and what I mean is my character does this. My character is going to talk to so-and-so. You know, I want to roll a die for that I'm talking to so-and-so. And, -so. and um, <clears throat> I personally feel that way because uh, the hardest part of RPGs is the, the social interaction part. <laughs> I, I believe, like, I mm -hmm. believe that honestly. And I think that mm -hmm. when people are allowed to approach it in, in a, in a gamey way, um, it helps. And, and then I think, you know, they can come around or not. It, it doesn't really matter. Uh, as long as they're having fun. Yeah. It, my opinion in general. Um, I, yeah, I've definitely, with people, I've definitely gone, oh, okay, you know, you don't necessarily know how to do this. You can just make a roll. That's fine. But I I like to encourage people to, um, you know, role play and to do those things because I think that that minutia often creates the best experiences. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're you're definitely right. Like, especially with the social situations or other things like that, it's really hard for some people to do. It's really mm -hmm. hard for anybody to do, really. Um, and so, yeah. expecting everybody to be able to do that and regularly too is not an easy thing to do. Exactly. And that even with people that might be completely fine in one game might have difficulty in another. And I think the idea behind this is really that there's sort of like an opt-in system to it. That if the baseline is to roll dice and you'll be able to proceed with the game and move forward and that you don't need to engage in too much of the social activity if you don't want to or too much of the role play aspect, then you can move forward with the game if you're more comfortable skipping certain parts of it. Um, I, I like that idea of being explicit with that sort of in the rules that there's opportunity, like no one should ever feel forced to um, role play at a certain level or, or interact at the same capacity as everyone else in the game. So, mm -hmm. and, and I, to your, just, just to sort of iterate a little further, I didn't mean that I want to necessarily make it only a dice rolling game for certain people mm -hmm. which i'm not against even that either but just in the sense of like a, a lot of role-playing expectation is you know when when the gm puts on their their bartender voice and starts talking that you put on your character voice mm -hmm. and and i think that it's okay to for example in response to the gm and their bartender voice say uh, my character orders a drink. You know, there's no dialogue there, um, but it's still mm. role playing. Yeah, 
Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's like, a, it's a, hmm. I don't know how we kind of got to this point, but it's just something <laughs> that I, I feel about, about role-playing. Um, and hmm, I guess there's no right, perfect way. So in that sense, it's, it, it should be understood that that's the case and that in itself makes it more accessible. Exactly. I, yeah. I think the idea is really that it's the accessibility of the topic. So I think that fits perfectly with what we're trying to say. Whether or right. not there's a, a disability per se involved, it's it's becoming accessible to everyone at the level that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's one of the things we're probably going to come back to a lot is um, giving options to allow for people to kind of go, um, I am comfortable with this, or I can do this, so I will. But if you are not comfortable with it or you can't, um, having the ability to obfuscate that out in some way or, you know, mechanize it or skip it so that you don't have to engage in something that mm -hmm. makes you uncomfortable or possibly excludes you from the game because you can't it's do that thing. Just being uncomfortable, it's just not knowing how to do it is also a thing. Like, I know I've bring, brought this up previously, is that, like, in a lot of the games, it's like it's perfectly okay for you to, you know, roll your combat skill because most people don't actually know how to use a sword. So they just <laughs> build it into the game and say, well, your character knows how to use a sword, so you just roll for it. So, But then yeah. when it gets into to the... Sorry, just let me... Let me for one more second. Is that when you get into the social mechanics... For some reason, it, it seems acceptable to just be like, okay, well, your character knows how to do this, but you don't. But you have to roleplay it out yourself as though you actually knew how to talk somebody out of doing something. And it's like, I don't know how to do that necessarily. Why do I not get to roll for this now? Why is there no mechanics to make it so that my character can be james bond when i have no clue how to do that mm. <laughs> yeah so so cat thank you very much for your contribution um but i did say can't do it <laughs> sorry i just wanted to be a little snarky there no it's, it's fine <laughs> um, okay sorry. i miss i miss <laughs> um so sorry. yeah i've had an opportunity to play with um person on the autism spectrum and and it was interesting and 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 not any less fun for anyone but but there was definitely a time where she engaged and and times where she didn't and um there was definitely that that separation between the combat and and this was dnd 5e but between the combat and the social and and just to she wasn't not enjoying herself, but she was only interacting with the, the combat portions or the uh, mechanical portions, as it were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and not to say everyone you know who's somewhere on the autism spectrum is going to be that way, but this is how it was for her. Yeah. Well, the question is as well: Is that necessarily a problem? Like we'd like people to join into all the aspects of the game, but. There's some people that that's really the only thing they want to do is show up and kill shit. Mm -hmm. it's like, In short, no, it's not a problem. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. it kind of depends on the table. Like, I think that that, and that's a, that's a GM and like a player thing 
is setting those expectations. Mm -hmm. um, but I assume that if you uh, if, if you have those people at your table, you probably understand like this are kind of the expectation for what is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Something about social contract or something like that. <laughs> something about the social contract. We weren't going to talk about that, were we? <laughs> right. But I think, sorry, just to, to come back to this, I think you're right that it's the GM that really has to gauge sort of a lot of that. But are there tools that we can give the GM so that they are able to better do that job? And I think specifically addressing what we've been talking about, having a chapter that says what is the level at a minimum that is sort of expected perhaps, or that the game needs in order to move forward and that no one should be, um, should feel the need to, to do more than that, to keep up, or that that's sort of the safe baseline level that should be accessible to anyone that isn't comfortable with doing above and beyond. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're saying include some portion within the book that says here are the general expectations that are included within this game for conduct and how role playing happens. Exactly, or or sort of just that baseline level of um, this is what is needed, and this is how you can every every player that can perform these basic or baseline things. Uh, should be okay to to play this game, I guess. And anything above that is free for everyone to decide how they want to role play, whether it's speaking in character voice or whatever. But as long as you're able to do these functions, then that is the level of accessibility that our game can provide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because not a. I mean, as hard as we try. Or maybe not as hard as we try, but but no, not every game is for every player, right? Like, mm -hmm. we, I think and we understand that, but I think all of us understand that there's you can't make all the people happy all the time. If you make one person happy, you're annoying somebody else at some point. So I don't know if it's as clear cut as that, but I agree in general. Yeah, <laughs> as a general point, there's you can't make everyone happy, and you can't do something for everyone unfortunately so you kind of have to specialize your game uh -huh. yeah. yeah can't yeah you can't make everybody happy all the time um and that's like and that's part of making art in general is understanding who your audience is yeah. or what your direction is what your themes are and uh, it, it, if you don't have an understanding of that it's going to be kind of a messy thing and I, uh, like, I think my my game um, is something that I'm having trouble making accessible. Not necessarily because it's got more like social uh, social necessity than other role playing games, but just because it's like it's a very it's very entrenched at this moment in Americana, and mm. so having people outside of America play it and understand it is hard um or at least it, i think it will be hard i'll i'll see if i can get some canadians to play it and see how they feel about it um because that's you know it's close enough mm -hmm. but it, yeah and that's one of the other things when we make games one of the one of the reasons that we keep seeing like elves and dwarves and orcs etc is because that's very accessible everybody understands 
the tropes behind those things um, and thus can play with them much easier than if you go, okay, here's some very like specific minutia about the difference between a tramp and a hobo. And like, you kind of want to understand that to play this game. And here's like Mm -hmm. how this whole thing works. Um, Cause it's, about what's in our popular culture and how, yeah. how accessible that popular culture is for us to reference. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having those reference materials within a role-playing game is really important mm-hmm. um, because you have, some, you have to have something to jump off of. Yeah. Uh, and that's the same kind of thing we were talking about when like, Kat was talking about the scaffolding for her social mm-hmm. interactions, which is sometimes um, it's, it's much easier if you have that Oh, okay. I have some direction. I have something I can do. You know, I have a plan to go forward instead of just I just have to talk um, and try mm-hmm. and figure it out from there, which is off. It was just harder for a lot of people. So, I think I, we're, we've addressed a lot of accessibility issues to the, to people who just might have difficulty role playing in general. Um, mm-hmm which is pretty interesting, actually. Uh, I didn't know that would be <laughs> this fruitful. But, but what about other, um, like, well, just uh, physical disabilities, things like sight and hearing, uh, maybe? Um, yeah. What, yeah. What do you guys, or even uh, speech? It's, do you guys it's have any too, thoughts on that? Mm, it's too bad that we've done this so uh, just out of nowhere, because I know I've seen things on... Uh, Reddit and other places on the internet about people talking about. I have a player who is deaf or blind, right. and here's yep. what that here's how that changed the interaction within the RPG. But I don't, you know, I didn't look at those. I don't have those to say. So yeah. I have very little on those. Though ultimately, it, it depends upon the nature of the disability and the nature of the game. But I don't think that those are going to impact you greatly. Um, I mean, the, the, the deaf and the, um, like, mute are hard because, you know, RPGs are so much about talking, um, usually, about the conversation. And so if you have that, you need to have the conversation in a very different way. You know, you need to use sign language, um, which isn't a, a bad thing or anything, but that's just, it changes how the conversation works. And I don't know if that's something we can design for, though it'd be pretty cool to see someone make a game based around um, sign language. But I would not want to do that. Yeah, I I could totally see it. Um, I think that'd be really interesting, actually. And in terms of other sort of communication focused um, disabilities, um, I think a big one is sight that I've seen, where people have been able to address it. Um, So you're still able to speak to the other players, but you might need special character sheets that are in extra large fonts, or um, I've seen people design braille dice so that you roll it and then you can actually see or feel the faces of the die as it rolls. Um, There's a podcast, I'm just doing kind of a Google search now. There's a podcast called Going In Blind, where it's uh, a D&D 5e podcast, and it's all with legally blind participants. so rough because nobody would be able to help anybody else out there. <laughs> well, I mean, talk again, about they, fudging they roles, said, right? 
They did say legally blind. If you're legally Maybe. blind, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're entirely blind. Yeah, and exactly. And uh, I might be also wrong that it might just have legally blind players and not all of them. But uh, I think that um, still interesting that there's specific tools and podcasts out there for people that are um, visually impaired to be able to participate in existing games like there's not um i don't know not a custom system necessarily that needs to be made for them and I, from what i've googled there are some games that are already created to specifically address disabilities but you can adapt uh what kind of tools we already use like dice for those that need that adaptation mm -hmm. um, there's some things you can do, especially with like the blindness thing, for example, like designing a game so that the emphasis upon like your physical location isn't as important. Right. Like I've seen some games recently where instead of having like an actual board or whatever, it's more so just generic ranges. Like you're either it's it's kind of almost like um, the old Final Fantasy games where they're in the front row or the back row and it mm. just basically keeps track of are you close, near, or far? Oh yeah, range bands. Mm. Yeah, yeah I've range seen a lot of more modern games. Yeah, it's oh. like it, it removes a lot of the tactical combat. Like You could not build my game like that and have it still maintain a lot of what makes it what it is. But if you wanted to build a game that was to be like blind friendly, that would help a ton because then they don't have to actually see where stuff is on the board. They can just be told where it is. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about miniatures. Um, miniatures. Yeah. Another one that would be really good is if for you're going to use miniatures, if you have to use miniatures, set it up so it works on a chessboard. That's interesting. That's a cool idea. Yeah, although I mean, the size of the chessboard is or is as important as you know uh, anything. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an eight by eight grid, and it's labeled by numbers and letters. So if you say move to E one, you know where that is. You can visualize it in your head if you have an idea of what a grid mm -hmm. is. So I also think there are. Braille chessboards. So the idea could be that, like, if you wanted to feel out the positions and stuff, um, the edges of the board would be able to um, give you that information. So, yeah, you know, um, as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking it would be so good to have someone who knew more about this topic. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys are, you know, know stuff about disability, but I'm pretty. Uh, unlearned on it, and so I'm. I think I feel like at least I'm kind of just poking in the dark and going, "Here's what I understand." Mm -hmm. Try my best, but this whole this... podcast is us poking in the dark. So. <laughs> yeah, but this I feel especially there's people who know stuff about this. Mm -hmm. You're right. I'm not one of those um, people. So one thing, um, how you publish? So as a publisher, I mean, since we're indie, we we do it all. But as a publisher. And again, this is towards the blind. Um, the 
format is important. And and I've heard, and I don't know for sure, although there are readers that can handle PDFs, that uh, EPUB is a better mm -hmm. format for e-readers that will just read out for you. Yep. And beyond that, and again, I'm not 100% familiar with how you do it, but I know you can like create um, links within your document so that, because um, RPGs don't read nicely, uh, especially if it's just being read out out loud, right? Like you hit a table or you hit something, but if you have your links set up well, um, you should be able to just like jump from rule to rule uh, and people should be able to navigate through that. I, I don't know how to do this, but I know that it can be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point because like it's it's stuff that I guess we don't generally need to consider if we are able. So like if I'm publishing my document, I should make sure that it's legible by a an e-reader that can do text to speech. Or um, mm -hmm. if I'm designing specific tools in the game, I should make sure that they're these tools are accessible enough that um, someone that is visually impaired can use them. So if I use D6, I know that there are things like Braille dice that could be used to uh, substitute for the game. Or like my game involves a deck of cards. Um, so it might be something that I would need to look into of, is there a way that I can design the same system using a deck of cards that like mine, mine you write on them. So maybe that's not the best, uh, uh, translation, but is there a way that I can make my game work in a different setting or a different set of tools that can uh, assist those that need the extra accessibility? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and that often might come in uh, like the form of digital help. Uh, mm -hmm. Because when you were talking about that, I was I was trying to think about how would you do that? And uh, again, not coming from a position of pretty much total ignorance, um, I wouldn't really know, but I would think that the first way I would go is, okay, can I make an app for this or make some sort of program that can record these things and then uh, read them out or you know, make them accessible in some way that isn't writing something down on a card and then you know, being able through sight and touch and stuff to get those back and read them. Right. I think we're also pretty fortunate that we have a lot of technology that we can use to help us compensate for our games. So even if you didn't have necessarily like a physical item that your game came with that compensated, you could still use sort of an app or like a like a say a dice roller that could also do the text to speech for you. Um, I don't know. There, I think there could be other ways where. Uh, you can interact with a game, a tabletop game, using technological aids to to help you. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing that I just just to jump to another, um, I don't know, it's not disability, but accessibility that's affected by it is is poverty, and um, mm. there's a lot of free stuff out there, but some stuff isn't and um, I've seen designers who just make accessible you know 
and it's mostly by some sort of honor system, but the, a discounted product or even a free product. And um, mm-hmm. it's it's really good. Like it it it. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. And so much that I've sort of reconsidered how I go forward with the products that I have and or will have in the future. And um yeah, I think that's it's um it's it's hard to balance because, you know, especially people who do this for a living, you know, they need to to make money somewhere, but acknowledging that you know, poverty is an issue and getting games into those people's hands is, is important also. Well, one yeah. thing I can say in relation to that is that I actually do plan to have my game be released free of charge. Like, yeah. the thing to keep in mind is that your base game is not where you get most of your profits from if you're going to be releasing additional content. Like, if it's a full-fledged, like, D&D-sized game and you're going to be releasing extra content after it, you can release base game for free because that'll just get you more people playing it in the first place. Like, you're not going to get sales from that for the most part anyway, and people can get the PDFs off the internet no matter what you do. Somebody is going to buy a physical copy of your game, they're going to scan it in and make a PDF of it, and there's no way you can prevent that from happening. And yep. you can say, look, here, I'm going to provide it for free. I would appreciate it if, you know, you like the game, then, you know, just make a small donation when you get like five or ten bucks. Like, just if you do that, I don't see it's going to be a huge problem. I'm pretty sure that I can actually make money off that eventually. It's going to be harder, but I, I think it's worthwhile to do that and to make something so that there is like a game of this type that's available for just basically anybody even if they're bored to just start playing yep i um and that is sort of what i've come to i don't know if i'll make a lot of money ever doing this i highly (laughs) doubt it but um i've sort of had to reconsider you know that just making a game isn't the end if i want to make money off of it i'll have to also release more stuff to actually make money because i I, i've kind of come to the same conclusion that you know probably offering my games for free will be the the most viable way of getting my work out there but also just it's the way to make it accessible for everyone too Mm -hmm. or not everyone but people who don't have those means yeah yeah, I mean that's and that's a, a a hard thing to uh to do as well getting into poverty because um <clears throat> RPGs don't have a super high buy-in. I mean, you can you can get away with playing an RPG for almost free, um, you know, maybe at the cost of your time. A, because a, assuming you have a cell phone, which most people um at least in majorly developed countries like the US and Canada do. I can't afford one. <laughs> oh. I actually don't have a cell phone. I might be the last person. I I mean, fucking good on you. Um. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's not by choice. Yeah. No, it's I could probably get like 
uh, one that's like two or three generations out of date and still and just not have like a plan for it. But I mean, what's the point? So that's the thing, right? I mean, it's not just the phone. I mean, phones are expensive, but then you got to pay a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. 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 Or it's a lot more money than is really justifiable for me. I I just can't realistically do that. (laughs) Scratch that then. Um, But still, I mean, talking about that and uh, other other things, because if you have if you have one person who buys the book and buys a set of dice, you know, you can play an RPG for the cost of a pencil and a piece of paper, which is fairly accessible. Um, But at the same time, people who really get into this and want to buy books and buy dice, you know, you put a, a cost. There is a, a certain co- uh, amount of cost to entry into really doing an RPG stuff. And so we have to realize that, like, there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with that, with being able to to do RPGs and to commit the time to them, which is probably the major cost um, mm-hmm. within RPGs, is just being able to have the time and the energy to sit down with your friends and uh, do this thing that ultimately doesn't give you any um, immediate, you know, like monetary, immediate value, especially monetary. That's kind of one of the things of why it's kind of started, uh, it started a few years ago, really, but of, you know, GMs either charging for their time or it just being kind of, you know, a thing that people do that it's like, if somebody's going to GM the game, they basically get to skip out on, like, who's covering, like, dinner or snacks or stuff like that kind of thing as, like, a nod towards the fact that they're probably putting in more time than most of the other players in most cases. Uh, Not always. Not always. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, the part where you said that the GM gets to skip out on, like, food and snacks and whatever, um, that has never been the case for me, but Cost. I think she meant cost. Yeah, like, I meant that's like our, no, no, no I, for, that's, that's what I mean. Is cost of yeah. like I've I've always contributed. Yeah, it's, or provided. It's, it's not for all groups by any means, but there are definitely groups where they're like, yeah, the GM just doesn't have to uh, chip in for like snacks or stuff, or we'll host it at everybody's house. But if we're doing it at the GM's house, it's like a potluck. Everybody brings home. Something mm. like that, just because <laughs> they're basically putting more into it than the rest of the players sometimes. It's not true in all games, and it's not going to be true in all gaming groups, but it is definitely something that has been happening. Yeah. And I, and that's something I didn't even include in my discussion of cost, is because these are social things. There's generally food or drinks or other things like that associate with them transportation too possibly mm-hmm. um because either you're you know you're going to somebody's house or going to a game store or you're doing it online which has a separate cost associated with it yeah, it's kind of weird too that the internet is actually lowering costs because it's like a lot of people have a pdf copy of the book they don't have physical dice they don't have to travel there they don't have to pay for snacks they don't have to like even get a haircut or bothered put on clothes half the time (laughs) 
I mean, let's I mean it's not like they did that anyway. <laughs> I am, yeah. <laughs> but let's face it, that if you're doing just something over, like, the internet, either in text or in voice, a lot of people, they do not bother to get dressed. Like, I know for a fact that there have been at least a couple of business meetings I've been in where at least some of the inhabitants have not been dressed. And I know at least a few of those were me. (laughs) (laughs) As I just realized, uh, you made me think about something, and I know this is the stupidest thing for my first comment to be, but uh, I have actually uh, GM'd online in a tie and a suit. (laughs) 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 But But that was actually out of laziness, because I just didn't change out of my work clothes. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean this is something we do online to be fair and i rarely wear pants well well i mean catrice did encourage us not to. yeah catrice specifically told me not to wear pants. No. Why, why i mean no the, the weird thing is i wear pants and i wear a flannel or i don't wear pants and i wear a flannel don't ask me how i made made it to that decision <laughs> oh, uh, you, you're celebrating being in Canada, so you're wearing flannel. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I think this is this is uh, sufficiently uh, off topic enough for we've yeah, been let's, discussing let's, Fred's pants. That uh, yeah, yeah, let's move back on to topic. Okay, so, so oh, okay. I'm just gonna cut in briefly. We don't have to stick on this, but are you guys? Do you guys know this Invisible Sun BS on Kickstarter? Uh, uh, no, but so it's a game that was kickstarted like last year or the year before, and this is it's what it says: a reprint of the radical, ambitious, critically acclaimed tabletop role-playing game, currently sold out and unavailable. So, the highest pledge here, this is a role-playing game. The highest pledge, um, is nine hundred and seventeen dollars. Holy wow. God! Uh, and the the lowest um, is $43. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so, and I don't know what, the, like, you you, can, you must have to know, because the... It's a luxury item. Look at it. It's like, you oh, can get a PDF copy of the game. They're printing physical copies. The only reason people want physical copies is because it's a luxury at this point. But there, there's this, I don't, again, I have no idea what this game is, but there's this does not include the invisible sun and like all the bottom tiers does not include the invisible sun black cube and hmm, let's see where wait a second so you can pay 43 dollars and not get the game you are kickstarting i don't know i don't think that's it i don't know what this invisible sun cube is but you don't get it until you get until you pledge 243 dollars okay all right, never, never mind. I thought it was you don't get the game. But this thing has got to be important because they keep talking about it throughout all the pledges. Oh, I see why. Just a second. I just did a quick look on it. Uh, just did a, anyway. Voice buffer for a second so you can actually see, like, it actually comes as, like, a box. Yeah. Uh, so a friend of mine owns this. Um, okay, so and, do tell. Uh, I've, I've only looked at it briefly, but the box basically just holds everything in a, like, it's a sorted box, I guess. There's a nice little GIF on the Monty Cook um, website of it. 
but um, it's just a pretty box. But uh, it just contains basically all of the accessories, art book, um, like character sheets. For some reason, they give you a little hand. It's like a little statue of a hand. Um, there's like tons of little things in it. The idea behind, I think, with the Invisible Sun books is that everything's written sort of in code. So there's a lot of stuff that is cryptic. Um, so there's a uh, an entire language that you need to or that you can decipher um, if you want. So like even the the title of the book and stuff has the title written in the cipher language. So you need to like figure out what the like whatever it says like by Monty Cook or something. And that's your that's the the cipher language. And I think the black box might just be everything that you need for kind of putting it all together. And I'm I could be wrong. So like, it's sort mean, of like everything you need for deciphering it all. And then my goodness. otherwise you could, yeah, exactly. Otherwise you can just get like the base book or something like that. And that's it. Holy crap. And yeah, it, uh, it, it apparently covers everything from like the little statue to figurines, custom built dice, uh, cloth map. Like there's a lot of little things. I'm yeah. Looking at for it here. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, okay. Speaking as a person who likes little bits and little things, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Jesus Christ! I mean, <laughs> uh, listeners, um, you should look this thing up um, because it is an expanse of stuff. I mean, there, there's, you know, they, they were talking. You guys were talking about it earlier with dice and game books and uh, tone. You know, there's four different kinds of like little handouts you've got and you've got this statue of a hand and like Mm -hmm. uh, just piles of tokens and cards and stuff. And if we're talking about like um, a a thing being accessible, uh, that is not a super accessible thing. Probably in a lot of ways too. (laughs) Yeah. Even so though, like keep in mind as well that that's often what people are looking for in Kickstarters. Like, mm-hmm. they're not interested in the base product. They want all the bonus stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something I learned mm-hmm. the hard way when I was doing the Kickstarter. And it, it has to be physical stuff, too. Like, unless it's something like you will actually see your character. Like, they'll get your character's details and put them in the game with artwork. Something like that sells for a lot on a Kickstarter. But Yeah. Well, I mean, they're minimal goal was a hundred grand so that, that's what they needed to make it work which they're close to getting to yeah but it's not cheap yeah but that's generally when you're doing any kind of kickstarter or something like that like it's not even just kickstarters though like take what fred was saying earlier about the whole concept of you know it's not expensive really to start playing the game but then it's like you look at what people spend for money on the accessories to the game. It's like, I have a friend who just shelled out like over $100 just on custom dice for all their friends. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. And it's like, you don't need this to play the game. <laughs> it's yeah. not required, but and you wouldn't pay $100 for the game itself, but you'll pay $100 for the accessories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess the one thing is that the accessories can for multiple games. So people who 
you know, play a bunch of games, they might feel that that's a good investment. But I don't know, a hundred dollars is kind of steep. Are they huh. made out of literal bone? Because paying a hundred dollars <laughs> for bone dice. Mm, like, I don't think those ones are. There's there's some you can get that are. Mm-hmm. I know. I used to. Well, Rob isn't here, but we've talked about this. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, because uh, he made his own, including like bleaching the bone. Well, he's and, making like, acid in his thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like still like sitting outside his yard in like a plastic bin of acid. <laughs> Which, by the way, that is exactly how I imagine Rob's house. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Every- yeah. I don't think anyone that listens to this at this point is surprised by this at all. You're probably just sitting there and it's like, yep. Well, Rob I mean, they, like, they probably are they surprised that I used to own bone dice either, but um, I gave them to somebody else <laughs> when I stopped because they were D10s and I <laughs> never mind. And, yeah. I didn't have any use for them anymore when I Rob, yeah. Rob is the eccentric wizard of the group, right? Like, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm Rob's the eccentric wizard. I'm the collective delusion. <laughs> I thought you were the probability witch, Cap. No, uh, that, that's that's my D and D class. Oh, that's your D and D class. <laughs> We've <Nice>. discussed this, <laughs> and your your identity as a person is the collective disorder. No, uh, I am an, I am a delusion that you all that exists in all of you to as a second, uh, basically a counterpoint to Brad. But it's, it's don't worry about it. It's you, if I explained it, I would cease to exist. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so you're like a great got his life together. Huh? <laughs> you said you were the counterpoint to me. So. <laughs> No, um, essentially, uh, they, this group needed somebody else who uh, was into Powered by the Velocus games uh, that, so that they had two different stereotypes for it. So I, spawned, <laughs> I spontaneously <laughs> existed. That's just how it works. Oh, man. You know, I, I like this headcanon. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been mine since show one. <laughs> Um, oh, but actually, okay. If we're if we're gonna try and stay on topic to the abilities for a bit more, yeah, yeah a, we a little bit more. I, okay, so one of the things I, I wanted to actually, okay, so one of the things I was gonna say is like minis as well are expensive, but um, let's see, what else can we talk about in terms so of stability? Oh, one, go go for it, Mark. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to touch on was um, how people with disabilities are represented in role-playing games, sort of the other perspective, uh, yes. not necessarily making the game more accessible to a player, but making the representation of them uh, suitable, I guess, or like uh, how to how to address that in a game. Um, and I was kind of looking online for, for some articles about this, and there's one that specifically talked about character creation um, and that, there are some systems that use sort of like a, a trait and flaw system where some of these flaws can come across as very ableist in nature, stuff like y- you can give your character a flaw of being lame, um, of having whatever, some kind of disability. Um, 
And I was just kind of curious as to what you guys perceive uh, as, like, do you perceive this as a problem? Or is it something that you don't really acknowledge? Some of them I would actually say are pretty good. Like, um, <laughs> when you look at something like, say, a standard one you see in a lot of games is blind fighting. It, it actually shows the strength of people that it's like, okay, you're blind, but you still learn the capacity to actually overcome that. I think that's actually kind of a good uh, message they're sending there. It's mm. like, you don't have to be crippled because you're a cripple. Like, you can actually be rise above it in a lot of cases. Sometimes it's going to make your life suck for a bit, but... I mean, some so, people still manage to become like perfectly normal lives without an issue. I think like the difference between blind fighting, which you know there might be benefits to, is actually just being blind as a character, um, where you, if the game throws, if if you're blind, and then the game throws a bunch of um, penalties at you, then that's bad. But hmm. I think that uh, it's important to be able to play those characters in a way that isn't harmful mm-hmm. to to those people. Yep. Um, which is probably well, not easy. And so I've um, Adam Coble. I've heard talk about this, and I don't have like an exact show. Uh, to to refer to off the top of my head, but it it was about one of his um, Burning Wheel campaigns, and um, in Burning Wheel you have to pay for your disabilities basically. Yep. But it's because there's an actual game benefit to them, and I don't know what it is. It might just be an experience benefit. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. it's yeah. I think so. We actually, talked about Arthur earlier. Yeah, it's basically a benefit if you use them. Yes. I think it's so, whenever it comes up to interfere with your character's ability to progress, then these things gain you experience. Right. So it's it still plays as a real disability. Like it's still right. going to, you know, di- um, make something harder for you, maybe. But it it gives you other benefits because of it, and th- and those are meta. So I think that's mm-hmm. an interesting way but probably not the only way um, to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So they should be available to play, but it shouldn't feel like a punishment. Yeah, well, and I think... At the same time, you also don't want to completely erase the challenges they have. Like, you don't want to be like, well, you're blind, but you have absolutely no problems. You have only one arm, but you've never encountered any issues with anything in your life. Is like. Yes, you probably have. There are definitely things which are going to be more difficult because of that. And if you just say, you basically, I don't think the term would be whitewashing for it, but it's like basically just ignoring like the issues that they face is also kind of a disservice to them, I'd say. No, I agree. And I guess I think, and I could, I could be wrong, but I think that's what Burning Wheel attempts to do. In a positive way. Am, am I? Are we, is that kind of the case? I, I wish I knew more about Burning Wheel. Um, I I don't know if it if it is a 
positive way. I think it's just trying to present it in a uh, a mechanically neutral way. Mm-hmm. It's okay. trying to it's trying to say you have this this drawback or whatever it is, this disability, um, and it's sometimes useful, but usually not. And because it's not a useful thing for you as an actor, uh, you know, as a person, as an agency thing, you get um, meta like narrative points for it when you use it to make this to make the story flow better or to introduce complications to the story. One thing you hmm. might want to keep in mind as well is that when you're like if you study like writing and such, one of the main things that is usually encouraged for creating a character is the concept of a limp. Like it's some physical aspect or something that stands out about the character that is visually apparent and it's not a good thing. It's something they can't escape. It's not necessarily a physical limp, but it could be something like uh maybe they actually have a hard time um dealing with math or something and you see it on a regular basis. It's something that they are flawed in some way and in a lot of ways individuals are defined by their flaws like because that's what separates them from everybody else if everybody's perfect nobody really differs from one another because they don't have any flaws so in a lot of ways having that flaw is part of what makes you an individual so it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a disability of some sort it's just you may not necessarily want to go to the extremes of an actual limp or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's interesting when we try to mechanize some of these aspects of people in our games because like you could also take some of these things as sort of quirks or defining features. Um, and then there's sort of another extreme where it has a very mechanical consequence or benefit to them, where I think in d and I don't know if this is still in the current edition, but at some point, blindness was a condition that was applied to you from spells, magical things that impose disadvantages. Um, so it's interesting, like, I guess you, you it makes sense for a character that, um, relies on sight to have this disadvantage when they no longer can rely on it but i i don't know is there is there something that we as designers can do and put into our games to potentially alleviate some of the negative connotations or representations that are put in from having disabilities like is there a way that we can design around it um you know i'd say One of the easiest ways to fix that is not even in the rules itself, but you know how, like, the artwork really gets people reared up and ready to go for a game? Like, it gives them the feeling of it? You can do Mm -hmm. that pretty easily. Just have, like, some of your artwork be like, okay, here's, like, a character with one arm holding, like, a fucking greatsword, one-handed, and they're, like, cleaving through, like, a dozen goblins in one go. Like, just Mm -hmm. something like that. That's a huge 
a psychological effect just looking at that and seeing right. that and being like I want to be able to do this and yeah. this character is awesome. Mm. It, I, that's that's super valuable and I think something that you know when I'm commissioning art that I've tried to express is like inclusive art is is really helpful in mm -hmm. games mm -hmm. that are that lack you know the sufficient size to give all the um to put everything that you want in there mm -hmm. uh, from a perspective of inclusion yep um i think that's that's a really good point cut and it's exactly what you had mentioned as well jonathan earlier about um having enough of a of a presence of these things that like you want to be able to have characters that can represent them or you want players to be able to represent characters that come from a wide array of backgrounds, whether that's from like a racial or sex difference or in terms of ability. Um, and you don't want them to necessarily become caricatures of, or like jokes, I guess, or, mm -hmm. or um, like you want there to be real representation. And I think having the visual clues of your artwork help a lot in reinforcing the image of how this character would act and look or behave in your setting. Yeah. I, yeah. One thing I would say there is be very careful about going too hard into the inclusion side because it really stands out like a thorn sore thumb. Like someone was even mentioning that earlier today that I was talking to where they were watching a show and they were really liking the show, but even for someone who was very heavily PC leaning, like it was starting to bother them that basically there was no white people in the show and every single person was a token minority. Like it got to the point that it's like each of the characters was a minority. And it's like, this is not how you actually see this in reality it becomes really obvious that that's what you're trying to do. You're mm -hmm. trying to force it in so much that mm -hmm. it loses the entire point of the message. Right. So, like, be inclusive is not a bad thing in and of itself. When all you have is inclusiveness to the point that it's not inclusive, that kind of <laughs> is a bad thing, and it becomes yeah. really obvious you're doing it. Yeah. This... Uh, yeah. I I kind of have thoughts. Um, I don't. I guess I I dis I do disagree to some to to more of an extent than I agree with that. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think that people, yeah, like you kind of have to do this on on your own. Um, yeah, I mean, personally making these decisions for each of your games and what feels right for whatever game you're making. And that's what I mean by doing it on your own. Uh, I, I think you should get input from lots of people and the person that you talk to cat, uh, their input is valid. Um, but, but in the end you have to make your decision on your own. Uh, and it can be really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mike. Yeah, I, I, I don't just, know if this 
comes out in what I've put out there. But in the more I get myself out there, I, I want to to just be like, well, you know, I understand that you don't like it for those reasons, and I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I'm I'm being too inclusive for you. I guess I'm fine that you don't like that. <laughs> I I don't think it's the in the too inclusive concept. It's when it becomes blatantly obvious that it's not being done for inclusiveness. It's that you're basically playing a game of Pokemon and you're trying, you got to catch them all kind of thing. Where it's like, <laughs> we have to have every single token minority. Like, it's fair, like, fair well, enough. We, we don't have like a person from India yet. We don't have like the bisexual woman yet. And we have to like get one of everyone. And it's like, that's really looks kind of bad. <laughs> I don't think I mean I I can see where it might come across as jarring like in a these things don't work together but I don't think I personally would take it as bad if I I don't think it would take it as bad as a um insincere attempt it's an an attempt is is fine even if it doesn't work well uh in, in my in my opinion anyway yeah, I think that's going to come down to individual opinion as well, definitely, as you were saying. Yeah. Like some even people even the designer. Like, well, stuff. you tried. Exactly. Other yeah. people get actually more annoyed that you basically looked at people and it's like, well, the only reason you're adding them is because they're black or gay or Asian or whatever. And it's like, right. at that point, you don't actually care about them as individuals or characters. You're just putting them in there so that you can fill a quota and that mm -hmm. sometimes will piss people off even more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but that's their interpretation of your action. Like if, if I'm trying to do something to normalize it and you take it as a insincere sort of, you know, quote, uh, social, social justice warrior bullshit. I, like I actually really like that particular thing you mentioned is normalizing it is if you really want to do something so that it's really normalized don't make a big deal of it like just add it and then there you go that's it it's normal treat it as normal as though it's mm -hmm. not a huge deal and it's like that actually works really well at making it not stand out but being visible so like if you have a character who only has one arm and you just don't bring it up because it's not relevant that works really well it's like people are like okay i i like this character they Except, they don't tend to get busy about it okay mm -hmm. i okay i i sort of agree with you with that like i have a problem with um like with uh characters who are it's like oh this is our our this is our gay character and it's like oh he you know he gazed down to the shops and then he goes and gaze around in the, in the bar yep. and goes and gaze around and stuff. but i don't watch like, like, people <laughs> <laughs> okay there are some people who are that way and like that's fine if you want to be gay tm good on you <laughs> but at the same time um but like i i, I don't tend there should be more like characters like that, but character than just the one aspect. Yeah, yeah but, that's right. 
but and this is a big but there's no fucking possible way that like not having an arm or uh being from a separate culture to the one that is prevalent in the um, media in the society in which this uh media takes place or something like that isn't going to come up if you have a person with one arm that's going to come up that's going to be is it's a of their identity right barely i'm saying like if it is not relevant to this current situation don't point it out like it's not like don't do the stereotypical vegan thing hi i'm a vegan it's like um that's (laughs) nice i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry did you say vegan Yes. Because it's vegan. I probably... (laughs) Come on. Normally, no one has any issue with my normally lacking accent until one... (laughs) (laughs) No, it just sounds like you're saying Reagan. Well, that's a good point. Why isn't uh, Ronald Reagan said Ronald Reagan? (laughs) Ronald Reagan. Uh, Because there's an A in there. (laughs) <laughs> anyway anywho yeah yes. back to back to what you were saying um i think the the idea of like if you're missing an arm it will not there's no way that it wouldn't come up i think that there are games in particular that would focus on when and how it comes up like i could see specifically more narrative facing games taking a different approach to a character with a missing limb than a simulationist game that wants to be able to represent what that means in numbers and probabilities and and like stats Um, whereas the narrative game is trying to incorporate it into an element of the character which could potentially be good or bad or neutral, it could just be that this is the trait that they possess. Um, And it doesn't necessarily need to impinge on anyone's ability to succeed in the game because it might have a different focus. Like the the complete wargamer would say that a character without uh, an arm would have reduced stats and is less efficient than a character with two arms. But in a narrative-based RPG where more of the objective, I think, is the tendency is more to have an interesting story come out of it, then I think it becomes easier to implement, I guess, or easier to to have coexist within the game in a positive and uh, accepted framework. Yeah, and to to what Fred said, I think that I think that Cat wasn't disagreeing with that, but but to go back to the example of a one armed uh, image, uh, the image is just that, and it it shows some ideas or gives ideas for play uh, in play is different than you know by writing a few lines of text um or having one image it it could play a lot more or a lot less than what's actually showing depending on the group and the situation and everything yeah but uh like something that i did and um i don't know maybe it was a bad idea maybe it's not very good but i was writing scenarios for my game and um you know i wrote the scenario as it just came out to me and uh there was a a cop like a male cop and he had a male name and so i just changed it instead of saying he i said they and uh 
it's just like it shows up like twice in the whole you know four or five hundred word scenario and I, it is an attempt by me to to be inclusive without being hmm, i don't know what the right term is um it was just an attempt to show that that is a possibility or that it mattered Mm-hmm. And I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think the more often you do stuff like that, yeah, uh, in various ways, it just says, "Look, like, mm-hmm. I accept this. This is okay." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's like having um, that inclusivity or just that represent that simple representation of like, yes, this is a thing that exists and is a, um, I guess I'll say viable. Although I don't know if that's the best word to use here. Yeah. But you know something that is is uh, is okay um, and is prevalent within this society, and thus you know it, inf- it. Because we are socialized by the media that we consume, mm-hmm. if you have that media there, the idea at least is then you you grow to kind of understand that to be able. Mm-hmm. To, oh, this is an okay thing. This is a yeah. normal thing. Uh, and thus are more accepting of it. And mm-hmm. it, whether that is our duty as artists is, uh, it's up for debate, though I would say it is. Um, or at least I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Oh. In terms of um, the next, the last few things that I think I had to say about this, um, in general, designing with disability in mind. Um, there are a few things that I know I had considered and inclusivity was definitely one of the aspects in terms of like the way the game is represented and the art within it. Um, I also tried to pay attention to color schemes that I used, um, specifically stuff like um, different kinds of color blindness. Um, and I use color in the version of the current game uh, where I, it's important to me to distinguish between the colors. Um, so because it becomes an important element of the game design, I've, I've tried to focus on making it accessible. Um, and now that I've moved to sort of this card-based version of Praxis Arcanum, I think that's an element that I'm going to need to look into as well and say, are there accessible versions of these kinds of tools that I'm using to facilitate everyone being able to handle it and, and play the game, um, whether that's through online apps that need to be developed or uh, physical tools that I can provide. Um, But just trying to be able to make that accessible to everyone, I think is sort of in the purview of the designer to, to provide. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, if we're doing uh, wrap up stuff, since Kevoir spoken a bunch, is there anything that we miss that you feel is important to talk about? Oh, probably, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well is there anything you were really wanting to bring up even if we've already talked about it like is there anything you thought no really I, I, I didn't say much because I didn't have much to say yeah okay. I'm sorry Kevlar is 100% certain that we missed something though he just doesn't know what <laughs> yes, oh well. I am more than 100% certain but you know I don't know what it is either <laughs> it's fine uh, yeah. hey we don't know what we don't know yeah, yeah that's very true yeah, I mean, if you don't have to deal with those issues on a regular basis, 
you don't tend to notice them. Then again, if you deal with it on such a regular basis, eventually you get used to it and don't tend to notice it. It's <laughs> <laughs> mm, true. Possibly. I do think that like the entire idea of this podcast is us exploring topics that we're not experts in, but that I think deserve to be explored and deserve mm-hmm. to um, have our input into like just being able to talk to five different people about how to design a game around these topics. Um, and hopefully it, it benefits the people that are listening. I think that's the entire idea of the, why we're recording these and putting them online is that hopefully someone can glean something useful from this and put it into their game and make that a better experience. So yeah. I know we're not experts, but I think just having the topic and us rambling on about it and Fred's pants for a while, I think that <laughs> helps in terms of how people can structure their games if they listen to this. So Yeah, uh, just uh, quickly, to anybody who actually knows a lot of stuff about disability, I apologize for any <laughs> mistakes we made. Uh, or I apologize for any mistakes oh, I sucks. made. Um, because I'm sure we, we used some wrong terminology or said yeah. something wrong. But also, if you want us to address the things that we, you know, screwed up, uh, let us know, and Get we'll. Yeah, yeah. What's our What's our email address, Fred? Our, I have no idea. Our email is flailforwardpodcast at gmail dot com. It'll also be in the uh, the show notes, the episode description, so you can look at it there. Uh, and we're on various social media. Concerns, complaints, too. and death threats. There. Yep. yep that's uh, that's the place. Yep. Uh, <laughs> If you want to send us bombs, uh, okay. I, I don't know. Make anywhere. sure to send them of the quality of that guy that <laughs> sent those ones out because, I mean, I'd be okay with receiving, like, you know, a toilet paper tube just filled with, like, loose wires that aren't connected to each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we're on all the, we're on a lot of the social medias. We actually do have a porn up account. Like, that's not a joke anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all the major ones too Twitter, Instagram we're flail forward on all of those so if you oh, want right. to talk to us there um, you know, tweet us uh, I don't know what it's it, gram us on Instagram uh, book us on Facebook you know, etc <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll try and get back to you and try and correct the mistakes we made but uh, this sounds like a wrap-up. Does anyone have any last thoughts they want to uh, share before we get going? We forgot to... Uh, this might not be an official episode, but John has a game out. Oh, and my God. Submitting this, right. we should probably yeah. mention this. Shit. Because it wasn't official. Yeah. So yeah. We also yeah. did introduce each other, ourselves at the top, but, you know. Nah, fuck them. They knew who we are. Okay, so officially, so a project I've been working on for most of 2018 is called You and I um, Role Playing Games for Two, is available on DriveThruRPG. In that collection, you can find my game Cut to the Chase and 14 other two player games. So go check it out. And mm-hmm. um, on top of that, if you're interested in you know other designs I might be working on, you can go to um, Mongrel Tabletop games.com mm-hmm. that's where my stuff is at yep and there will be a link to all of this in the show notes um so if you check the episode description you can find the link to all of this stuff i'll put it right at the top for all y'all 
all cool. y'all listeners. Thanks. Um, yeah, of course. Cool. Uh, John makes a good game. Uh, I can't speak to the other <laughs> the 14 games. other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to most of the rest of the book, but if they're with, you know, it's it's worth it just for Cut to the Chase. Um, the, other, the other games are probably good as well. I honestly don't know. They look so, really cool. Yeah. Uh, I can speak to to them. Most of them. I, yeah, I'll just say it. I can speak to all of them. But I didn't read them all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, they all uh, they play quite short, which is good, and um, and they they don't take a lot of setup. So that that's sort of the benefit of of most of these games. They're just they're easy to just grab and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look out for you and I role playing games here too. It's on Drive Through. There'll be a link in the show notes, and uh, buy it. Support Jonathan because he's great, and uh, <laughs> have a good a good game. You know. Uh, get get a um, a preferred your preferred gender and move them with role playing games. Um, and then I think it sounds like Cat has one more thing to add. Yes, I do. So I learned as of last night at something like three in the actually I think it was more like four in the morning. That's that today. <laughs> not anymore. It's it's one a.m. now for me. Oh. So technically, <laughs> it was yesterday. <laughs> Okay, cat. Uh, for time zones. Anyway, uh, the uh, podcast that Rob had been on a few weeks ago that he'd been plugging looks like I'll be on it next week. So uh, just for anybody who's interested on looking at that, because I've actually been listening through the stuff since he was on the show, and there's some really good stuff in there about game design as well. So uh, you might want to look at patreon.com slash Pullman, P-U-L-L-M-A-N. And he's got a lot of uh, game designers that he's been interviewing for it. There's a lot of interesting stuff on there. He's yeah. probably going to regret bringing me on because, I mean, I'm just going to spread the garbage fire. So <laughs> <laughs> Regret is short-lived with you, Kat. <laughs> you come around and really knock it out of the park by the end. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> oh come on! Get us a confidence. Um, I am confident that I am going to set fire to everything. <laughs> that's very you know, that's not what I meant, Kat. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to set the world on fire. I, I just want to start a flame in your heart. <laughs> I'm okay with starting a flame more. <laughs> that was not what I said. <laughs> but it's what I said though. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. I'm totally uh, done. <laughs> okay. Are you done? Um yeah, so we have been flow forward. Uh yeah, again, you know all of us. If if you're listening to this, this probably isn't your first episode. If this is your first episode, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> this was a mess. I don't even know if we're gonna That's post fine. this. But oh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think at this point we kind of have to. Anyway, we've been flail forward. Uh, thank you for listening, listener. And uh, you can find us on all your social medias. You can send us an email at flailforwardpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll most and likely reply. We're up to two listeners now? No, it's it's only one. There's it's only definitely one. T- oh, 
I'm rounding up. It's like one point eight seven. <laughs> <laughs> I know we have a we did we do have that one listener who gave us a uh, five star iTunes. Well, yeah, thanks. that's our listener, Kevlar. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> our, our one listener. Thanks, uh, Narfenstein gave us a wonderful uh, iTunes review. Uh, if you want me to say your name in the episode, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, and if I can be bothered, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right now we I can feel... like ten people saying our name. No. <laughs> we'll have to start. Okay, maybe two, maybe three. Hey, you know what? If they leave good reviews, that's worth it. <laughs> anyway, um, good night, everybody. Sleep well, and uh, we'll uh, see you, I don't know, sometime in the future. <laughs>